It's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Amanda Miller of Roslindale, Massachusetts. Amanda will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To me next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Ronald Young Jr. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And this week, we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 7, Episode 8, Starved. He has no right to remove Cora's feeding tube. He has every right. Cora Jurgens is his wife. The wedding was a sham. He only married Cora to keep her from testifying. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. I'm just here to give you the bologna so you can make the sandwich, Kevin. That is a reference we will get to later. <laughs> and it's as hokey as it sounds. <laughs> Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Leaving the Theater podcast, it's Ronald Young Jr. Hello, Ronald. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Hey, in leaving the theater, you review TV and movies, and I just got to know, when was the last time you actually left a theater? <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess it was actually the last time you were in a the theater, but when was the last time you left a theater because something was so bad? <laughs> oh, 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 I wasn't expecting that spit on that question. Um, I think the last time I left the theater was Transformers Dark of the Moon. Was it? Uh, yeah, I got. I was like, one, I was tired, and two, I was just sitting there, and Mark Wahlberg was out of breath, and I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm. I, this is the sixth movie or the fifth. I don't even know. And I'm like, I just, <laughs> I've had enough. Goodbye. And then I left. And then I always go with whatever that a movie's bad. I look at the Rotten Tomato score, and I'm like, if it's below fifty percent, then I'm like, I made the right decision. <laughs> I have a question for you, though. Sure. As a child of the '80s and a childhood Transformers fan. Mm-hmm. Does part of you still drive down the highway and see a big tractor trailer and think it might be Optimus Prime like I do? Every single time. <laughs> you guys got to stop doing acid. <laughs> I'm like, that could be the one. I see yellow cards like those bumblebees. <laughs> Any minute, you never know. The truth is out there, as they say. <laughs> Ronald, of all of the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. Okay, so when I thought about this question, and it's really hard for me to pick a team, uh, 
but I think it, this is going to be weird, but I think it's uh, Munch and Tutuola are honestly. <laughs> no, favorite. why not? Yeah, yeah. because. That's a good team. It's a big yeah. Pick. Could, yeah. Because other than that, I feel like I pick individuals and I'd be like, mm. I'd want to make a dream team. But as far as two people that just fit together and actually did a lot of good that go, kind of goes under the radar because of the way they're set up in the show. Those are my favorites. Yeah, you're not alone. And you're, I don't think you're the first person who's picked them. And I have been oh. on the side of Munch and Tutuola many times myself. When I do my year-end montage of who's your favorite detective team, I've always got a cluster of Munch and Finn. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a solid pick. And who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I, I, so I feel like I'm an SVU guy, and they had less teams then. They, they had individuals. Yep. So, I mean, oh, man, it's probably Novak. It's probably yeah. Casey Novak. Yeah, I think it's probably Casey Novak. I like my number two would be Alex Cabot, but yeah. Casey Novak's probably my favorite. Yeah. Don't you feel like Diane Neal is a little bit of a chameleon? Sometimes she's a redhead, sometimes she's a blonde, sometimes she looks a lot like Alex Cabot, like in this episode. <laughs> I was like, someone called her Casey, and I was like, wait, you're right, that's Casey. <laughs> <laughs> the only person who changed hair more than her was Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, SVU Season 7, Episode 8, Starved. We begin with a masked and gloved rapist scene breaking into the apartments of a string of victims. SVU learns the serial rape victims have little in common except they all went to speed dating events, which resulted in drinks with a controlling man they immediately dumped. The guy had different names, but used the same email address to sign up. Benson goes undercover at the speed dating event filled with more red flags than a May Day parade in Moscow. Well, you are the most beautiful woman in the room. Oh, thank you. You don't waste any time, do you? Just being honest. I, I can't believe that you need help finding a date. I'm in advertising, and uh, the only men that I meet are either colleagues or clients, and... I don't like to mix business with pleasure. Her target is going by Jim, and they agree to meet for drinks afterwards. He tells Benson he just got out of a long-term relationship with a clingy woman. She cuts the date short, and on cue, the creep follows her back to her apartment, where Stabler puts the cuffs on him. Their suspect is really Dr. Michael Jurgens, as in the lotion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's when defense attorney Minerva Graham Bishop magically appears with Michael's girlfriend, Cora. She claims weekly that Michael was in bed with her when the rapes happened. Novak says there's not enough to hold him, so go get me something. Olivia tells Cora what Michael said about her while, you know, on a date with her. She recants her alibi and gives permission to search the apartment. Uh, they find some tools and rubber gloves in Michael's bag, but Judge Donnelly kicks the evidence out on a technicality. Casey says she needs Cora to testify before the grand jury tomorrow, and that's when Benson <laughs> discovers their witness passed out drunk and unresponsive. Okay, so to find their suspect, they put all of their victims in the same room at the same time to discuss it, which <laughs> defense attorneys love to hear. That's right. Sounds like a nice guy, but you all turned him down for a second date. Why? He insisted on ordering for me. He was a control freak. Me too, even though I told him I hated sushi. So how'd he take that? He said he knew I'd like it if I tried it. And what's funny to me about this is you have these three, like, very credible, very successful women. And they're like, have you done anything weird recently? Like, fill out a credit application? No. Have you, uh, you know, gotten, you belong to a gym? 
No, I can't think what it could possibly be, <laughs> except for that super creepy date I went on with that obviously disturbed man. Like all three of them, but none of them can think of that, right? Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> so Munch knows a lot about speed dating. Mm. Uh, because he says it has Jewish origins. Invented by a rabbi to match his students with Jewish mates, one of my people's many contributions to the world. And that's when Finn responds, Second only to bagels. Oh my God, that part. <laughs> that part. There was two parts that I noted there. One that I was like, I had to look up the, I stopped the episode and looked up the date it came out because I'm like, why is Munch explaining speed dating to us right now? Like, <laughs> we don't know what speed dating is. And, like, and then I looked and I was like, 1999? Oh my God, we didn't know what speed dating was this is crazy and then when when he says there's two problematic things that are uttered in this and i guess we'll get to the other one later but the one thing that uh when he says that he's a bagels are number one i was like so we're not gonna talk about this like light racism that just happened like in the middle of the office like it was nothing like, like jews are known for their bagels and that's the number one contribution uh I well, it's, it's really <laughs> ironic because as twitter knows ice tea never ate a bagel that's right Never. <laughs> people went crazy. Here's the tweet that he put out. Quote, white people, don't lose your effing minds because I've never eaten a bagel. Take it easy. <laughs> that sounds so... How? Like, how? How? Okay. So, I see... I mean, you're right. I mean, he's been on set for 20-something years, craft services yeah. every day. He's never flown coach. You know, they always give you those, like, crappy bagels, like, in the back of the jet blue plane. Obviously, he never got one of those. He says, you know, he likes sweet stuff. Yeah. He says he, he's cinnamon <laughs> buns. What bothers me about that is like as a black person, I've eaten bagels my entire life. So when he <laughs> says sorry, white people, I mean, you mean sorry. Every, everyone eats bagels. <laughs> everyone eats bagels. Well, he keeps saying, no, uh, uh, black people like sweet stuff. So they like jelly donuts, but they don't like bagels because it sounds it feels like a mouthful of bread. I don't know, man. This is <laughs> I don't know. I got one black person that has eaten many a bagel sandwich and enjoyed it. So I don't know what he's talking about there. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do a straw poll amongst my friends. Okay. I'm not, you know, it's funny. The race stuff and, and religion stuff aside, it might not be the most problematic thing that a cop says in front of another person in this episode. 100% okay. true. 100% All right. So true. when you're wheeling a rape victim who was just raped out of her apartment on a stretcher to an ambulance. Into the ambulance, yeah. And they're like, and like what did he, did he say something? And like, she says what he says, the obey me thing. And they're like, third attack this month. So far. Third one this month. <laughs> I'm like, maybe don't serve them in front of the victim that maybe like is counting on you to protect them from yeah. being the third one this month. Third. <laughs> he picked me third. <laughs> hey, but is it too much to ask for that the rapist email address not actually be? And what do you know? We get Romeo at 4umail.com. Romeo at 4umail.com. Says the man with an AOL email address? No, but it isn't. <laughs> I'm like, well, what am I going to be? Oh, Romeo the rapist. I mean, Ron, back me up. You'd be a little more. I feel like that was such classic law and order laziness. Like, they're like, look, guys, we got to put out like 500 episodes. We got to get this going. So what's his name? And it's some poor intern who's like, uh, I don't know, uh, Romeo at, uh, I don't know, how many bobbybob.com. Like, it's, that's exactly how they come up with this. So like, I saw it. And I was like, you're right. It's a little on the nose. <laughs> 
<laughs> Foryoumail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Better they need the cops. You just start flipping through. It's like, which email sounds like a creep? Romeo. Right. <laughs> oh, and also in the, the greatest built-in public service announcement, NBC wants you to know that speed dating actually is a shit show. 100%. <laughs> I love cats. I'm a dog person. It was like I was outside my body watching, you know what I mean? Yeah. I felt the same way when I was abducted. <laughs> Are you talking about the fact that it's populated with Pez dispenser collectors and people who claim they were abducted by UFOs? Is that what you're talking about? It was also the like, well, I'm a dog person. I'm a cat person. Yo, that was, oh my God, I laughed out loud at that part. I'm like, again, I'm so on the nose when they said it. I was like, oh, so as the audience, I should know they're not going to work out because he likes dogs and she likes cats. Way to go, NBC. <laughs> I can't wait till the rapist comes over and talks to me instead. (laughs) We do have a very special guest star. A very special. It's our very special guest star. It's Mr. Dean Kane. Yay! Uh, You know him from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and that's it. I've spoken with my wife's neurosurgeon. Cora is in a chronic vegetative state. She has no cortical activity or EEG. She'll never recover. No, I know him from being the most disappointing, handsome guy in Amer- the American history, perhaps, besides Scott Bayo. Very disappointed in Dean Kane and his uh, recent turn into being a total nutbag. Correct. When he used to be a very handsome, uh, all-American guy. Oh, he also played, by the way, Scott Peterson in the TV movie okay. about Scott Peterson. <laughs> FYI. Makes a little um, more but, sense now. <laughs> but yeah, like, very disappointed in Dean Kane. I don't know if you, I mean, I remember in the 90s, Lois and Clark, don't you? It was so sweet, that show. It was sweet. That's the only thing I know him from. That's, I, yeah. I only, when you said that and nothing else, I'm like, that is accurate. Because that everything else I've seen him in, you're right. It's been Lacey Peterson. This this role, which in this I've seen this episode before, but the same episode where I've been watching him being like, mm, Dean Kane is kind of creepy and he's not exactly super bad here, is he? <laughs> so No. <laughs> Dean Kane has played Dean Kane nine times, <laughs> including in Entourage, First Class Fatherhood, and Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Wow. All right. Wow. I'm pretty sure he played a jerk when he played Dean Kane and Don't Trust to Be in Apartment 23 and in Entourage, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Someone could check me on that, but I'm like, I'm almost certain because like pieces of it are floating back into my head. I think there's, I think it's a good possibility that that was the case. We have a repeat offender. Mm. Repeat offender. Judith Light is back here as uh, Judge Elizabeth Donnelly. But She's the best. Clear the court. But we have a whole bunch of Hey, It's That Girls to yes, talk about. Yes, we do. Hey, it's... That girl. First of all, uh, who's the actress playing attorney Minerva Graham Bishop? Don't say another word. Minerva Graham Bishop. I represent Dr. Jurgens. Ron, who's that? I do not know. I saw her and did not strike a bell. Rebecca. That's Terry Gar. Jeez. From Close Encounters of the Third Kind, every 80s movie ever that, like, where they needed a beleaguered wife, it was always Terry Gar. Oscar <laughs> nominee for Tootsie, known for Close Encounters, Young Frankenstein. What knockers? Uh, uh, she has been living with MS since 1983. Really? Wow. F- I was going to say fun fact, but that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> that doesn't Sorry. Not fun, fun at all. <laughs> uh, she said, any movie I ever made, the minute you walk on the set, 
they tell you who who's the person to buy cocaine from. <laughs> Cher said they're going to make two monuments to us: the two girls who lived through Hollywood and never had cocaine, hmm. or bagels, or bagels. <laughs> <laughs> How about the actress playing Cora's mom? Anyone know who that was? I know that one too. I did not recognize her. Rebecca. That's Veronica Cartwright, who I only know because she's in the scariest movie ever made, the original Alien. Her father got sick when she was eight. They gave him six months to live. She went to the hospital every day, and she'd sit by the bed and she'd say, Daddy, don't give up. He lived for two years. He said Cora gave him the strength to hang on. And fun fact, she's British. Right. (laughs) Well, her older sister uh, was Brigitta in The Sound of Music. Yeah. Uh, for what that's worth. Virginia Cartwright, right? Uh, this is Virginia. Uh, no, no, this is Veronica Cartwright. This is for, no, this is Virginia. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at the character's name. I her, totally fucked that up. She plays her sister. She plays Virginia. But in real life, her sister is Virginia Cartwright. Oh, OK. So that makes sense, I think. Uh, Veronica Cartwright was the young Kathy in Hitchcock's The Birds. And she also had that horrible haircut uh, as Lambert in Alien. She was also on Leave it to Beaver. Really? Wow. Yeah. Throwback. She played Lumpy's sister hmm. who gave Beaver his first kiss. And Boner, I guess. I don't know. It's the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> On her IMDb page, it says she appeared in Hitler's Daughter and was born on Hitler's birthday. Hmm. Who the fuck puts those two things together? <laughs> it says, oh, this is a fun fact. Wikipedia is a very, very wild, is the Wild West of encyclopedias. <laughs> <laughs> but it, somebody said, oh, I mean, put these two things together. I, I would have preferred a paragraph about her lady mullet and alien. Yeah. It also makes me feel bad because I realize there are people who are born on Hitler's birthday and it's, it's not their fault. Yeah. But you're like, hey, Ron. <laughs> it's funny because my birthday's April 12th. And my uh, ex-girlfriend used to always point out, like, hey, you were born on Hitler's birthday. I was like, no, I was not. Not even close. Thank you. (laughs) I don't like that. (laughs) That's April 20th, by the way, if you're uh, fact-checking for the Washington Post. Mm. How about the actors playing the doctor and Morella? Cora's heart is still beating, but her brain was deprived of oxygen too long. Will she recover? No. I recognized her. She I definitely hates her. I that know name. girl, but yeah. I don't know what from. Okay, uh, that's Julie White. Eight Law and Order appearances across three franchises. She was Nadine and Grace Under Fire in the '90s. That TV show. She is an award winner. She won the 2010 Razzie for Worst Supporting Actress. Oh man! As Shia LaBeouf's mother in Transformers: Revenge <laughs> of the Fallen. <laughs> Oh man! Wait, she's been she's been Shia LaBeouf. That's why I knew her face because she's been Shia LaBeouf's mother the whole time. That's right. Yeah, and you wow. left early. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we came full circle. <laughs> All right. So when Benson goes on her undercover date, hot Dr. Michael Jurgens, as in the lotion, uh, <laughs> we see later that Finn has been doing surveillance from the bar in a suit. <laughs> and a pair of Benjamin Franklin's spectacles. Yes. All right, Ron, your re- your, your reaction. <laughs> There's two things. One, one, I when I as soon as this episode came on, when I saw Finn's hair, I was like, "Oh, we're back. We are. This is original <laughs> Law and Order SVU. This is like the OG. Like we're we're in the beginning. Because as soon as you see that ponytail, you're just like, "Oh, that's the only way we can know that Finn is from the streets." But when you see him <laughs> sitting at the bar with the same set ponytail <laughs> and those, and he turns around with those glasses, I'm like, "Who are you kidding?" 
Who are you? <laughs> Nobody. Everybody walks by. It's like that dude does not belong here. He is completely out of place. But when he turns around and the camera just sits on him for a minute, I'm like, and then the you know, of course, the Law and Order stinger music at that point, like, Meh. it's like, come on, man, it's fitting. Like you said, Benjamin Franklin glasses. Who are you fooling? It's not funny that he's dressed like a banker, because that's how they dressed him in the first couple of seasons. No, but they always put him in, like, in a cheesy suit with a vest, though. He was wearing, like, a legit, like, Wall Street suit in that shot, and I'm like, where did he get that? But how deep undercover is he in this bar that he needs to wear a disguise? (laughs) Like glasses. (laughs) Like, oh, hold on, wait a sec, no one's gonna notice me now. As if any, like, in a bar in New York, you need to wear anything special just to sit there. Well, I guess it worked for Clark Kent, so maybe they were thinking (laughs) it was a theme. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was a wink to the fact that it's like, oh, he's not gonna recognize him. But actually, now that that we're saying it out loud, I could see these writers being like, oh, we'll just put glasses on him. (laughs) And we're all like, wait, what? But who is he hiding from? Nobody there knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Except Olivia, who's not going to out you. So what are we doing Ben's here? Ben's just wearing a hot dress, which, by the way, amazing, right? Is that part of her uh, official department-issued uniform? <laughs> I don't know. She goes undercover. Yeah. I need my, give I me my it. FM shoes. In the beginning of the episode, I don't know if you saw it, but they show her locker. And inside, she has like two or three outfits just like that. That was like the first one. So they like pulled that out. She puts that on. It has a gun holster in the back and all that, even though it's a halter. It has a gun holster yep. right in the back. Elliot, pass me my bedazzled handbag. <laughs> pass me my strapless bra. I'm wearing, we, I'm wearing a tea bag tonight. We find out later, though, when she's sitting down having this conversation uh, with uh, Dr. Jurgens. I like the lotion. <laughs> like the lotion. <laughs> that she's recording it. I want to know, where, where, was, where was the microphone? I think she's recording on her phone, right? Not in 1999. Not in 1999. She was wearing a wire, allegedly. Yeah, she would have had to been. Where do they put that? Good question. I I think that's why she was leaning with her knees. Mm. (laughs) No? They're not not good enough? Okay. I can take that one out. (laughs) I don't even get the joke. What are you talking about? She stuffed it in her... Oh, yuck. Yeah? No, yuck? Yuck. Okay. No. Don't like that. (laughs) I love that veto. What a great veto. Like, no, cut that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they they bust Michael following uh, undercover Benson home. What's going on? We're arresting you for rape. Three counts. What? Did she lead him back to her actual apartment? It couldn't be. It couldn't be, What is this, like, the... Detectives like uh, Sting apartment. Sting apartment. We need a nice upscale Manhattan apartment in case we're doing. R- I looked upscale rape stings. <laughs> well, <laughs> he I was don't able know. To not have to get by a doorman and sneak up a fire stairway. It's the opposite oh, of upscale. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the funny thing that gets me is like they get him just to the apartment, and two things that that one one I thought the same thing. I was like that that that's not Liv's real apartment. Two. And uh, just because I'm, I think about things like this, when they walked him off arresting him, I'm like, oh, so Olivia's not going to come out of the apartment with a triumphant smile right then? That's okay. So no. And then three, uh, in the next scene, Casey Novak says, and I wrote this down. You should have waited for him to attack Olivia. You should have waited for him to attack Olivia. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, maybe, no, maybe we don't. I mean, we could have just waited for him to walk into the apartment. Like, but you're like, wait for the full on attack. I'm like, uh, Casey, I don't know about yeah. that idea. Talk about taking one for the team. Exactly. Really, Casey hasn't seen the Lewis episodes. Yeah. Oh she my would God. never have made that joke. Never. Hey, forget Superman. I think he's more like Aquaman in the way he can summon a high-priced lawyer 
to bring his girlfriend with his bullshit alibi without even making a phone call. <laughs> How did that all fall together? No idea. She just shows up. And there's one thing I wanted to know about the uh, lawyer is, and I've noticed this with SCVU uh, episodes in general, is that typically <laughs> when you have a defense lawyer, you either have, they either portray a defense lawyer who is doing an amazing job for justice and they're like, I'm here for justice and free speech. Or they have a, a defense lawyer who seems like they actually believe in their client to a fault. And and they're like, they're standing on like, no, we have you guys are coming in here with all this. You're not going to railroad my client. And this one was very much of you guys aren't going to railroad my client, even though the evidence was clearly stacked against him. But she seemed to have like be so contentious with uh, with uh, Casey and everybody else. Yeah, no one liked her. Uh, no, you know what the other thing was? Why? It's not like it's like one of those episodes where the defense lawyer is like, I've been defending your family for years. Your grandpa called me son. You know yes. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like she doesn't have like a personal relationship with him. I mean, it doesn't seem like there doesn't seem to be any compelling reason why she would feel Maybe she went on a speed date with him. <laughs> She's a cat person, and so is he. Yeah. She right. loves his Pez collection. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, she pulls out a Pez to eat a Pez, and he pulls out one, too, and they look at each other like, you, me. <laughs> <laughs> like a good scene in Rent. Yes. Easy yes. <laughs> too. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Psst. Hey, it's me, your barista. So you know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Yeah, well, I might be putting myself out of a job by telling you this, but now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. With three new foaming flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato, who could blame you if you stopped coming in altogether? Yeah, it's that foaming delicious. You're welcome. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. The doctor says Cora has a history of binge drinking and bulimia, which account for her condition. Olivia tries to convince her to go to rehab, and that's when her mother, Virginia, arrives and says, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) What did Mike do to you? Nothing. Then why are the police here? Mrs. Kennison, Mike Juergens raped three women. Cora has to testify against him. That man is poison. Cora... He is why you're drinking. Now, I don't want you seeing him again. We'll go back to Wilmington tonight. <laughs> Got it? That right. was so stupid. It was funny, though. Cora ditches mom at the train station and heads directly to Rikers Island, where she marries Michael, who is awaiting trial on the rapes. The ploy to use marriage privilege to stop her testimony doesn't work. And on the stand, Cora admits she made up the alibi before an outburst clears the courtroom. That night, Cora phones Olivia to tell her of a double suicide pact with Michael. By the time she reaches Cora's apartment, she is unconscious. The lack of oxygen to her brain has left her in a coma with no hope of recovery. Virginia wants to bring her daughter home for long-term care, but Michael, who I guess was convicted of rape during the commercial break, (laughs) uh, petitions the court to remove his new wife's feeding tube. Who knows what Cora's wishes would be after the obligatory well, what would you do, squad room discussion? And Arthur Branch yelling at non-lesbian Casey Novak. <laughs> we see Virginia has whipped up support from activists. The mother and the husband battle it out in court in front of the same judge who just sentenced him to prison during the commercial <laughs> break, I guess. <laughs> Michael says he and Cora once witnessed a terrible car accident, and she told him she'd never want to live on life support. 
then it's you lie and objection and clear the courtroom. And Judge Donnelly lifts the injunction, allowing the feeding tube to be removed. After Cora passes, Michael reveals he'll receive a $1.5 million life insurance payout. Meantime, Benson finds a newspaper article about the car accident where it's true. Cora was quoted saying she wouldn't like to live like that. So, so happy ending? I don't know. <laughs> so first chance, she gets Cora Ditch's mom and goes to Rikers, mm. where not only is every day Visitor's Day, they also have a chaplain on call 24 hours a day for jailhouse marriages. In a locked chapel. A locked chapel. They have yes. to open the chapel with a oh, key that's right. yes. to get in yes. to go to the wedding. Awkward. Which makes... No sense. None. <laughs> Mike Jurgens is on a visit right now. With Cora Kennison? Don't know. Was he seeing a priest? Guess so. <laughs> I mean, you can do it through the bars. The vows are still effective. <laughs> you can just breach your hand through to get the ring Pretty and pull easy. it back. Yeah. That's how they feed him dinner, right? On a tray. Yeah. Through that little hole. Yeah. That poor priest was like upset about somebody saying like blasphemy of a God bitch or, or whatever yeah. in front of him. <laughs> yeah. He is locked in a chapel. That's not the way you should do that. <laughs> hey, we're just going to lock you in, Father, and uh, right. just give us a shout if anything should happen. Don't worry about all those pointy but, crosses. It's fine. But the other disturbing part is that uh, the guard didn't even know what they were doing in there. He was like, yeah, he's in there. It's a private video. And they're doing something. And he opens the door. It's like, a wedding? Oh, my gosh. What's happening here? A wedding? Where are you registered? <laughs> uh. But apparently they don't need a blood test or anything you just walk right in and say anything. i'll pick him yeah, yeah maybe uh, <laughs> i need a convict for a husband immediately <laughs> so uh of course much has to make it about the nazis <laughs> oh none of this matters it's not up to us to decide when life ends so cora should suffer all right disconnect her who's next are we going to decide the quadriplegics lives aren't worth living what about the severely retarded? We kill them too? Okay, no one's suggesting we murder the disabled. The Nazis didn't call it murder either. Oh, that's okay. That whole uh, exchange, it was crazy because before he says that, Munch goes into his like, he goes, What are we going to do? We're going to take away, take away rights from people. Then he says, What about the severely R word? And I was like, Oh, we're still saying this is 1999. They're still saying the R word. We and just goes, learned about speed dating, Ronald. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was one of those things where I'm like, Oh, I'm out of time right here because he goes are we going to kill them too and I'm like so he's saying this compassionate speech using inflammatory language well I guess that at the time it wasn't considered inflammatory but looking at it I was like oh this is 100% on board for Munch and to go and he only dipped a toe into conspiracy theories on this one which is like classic Munch is to go way deeper than that so we do have a crossover this episode we do yeah we have Fred Thompson again as Arthur Branch, and it wouldn't be an Arthur Branch appearance without some corn pone line. <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? Cora's mom went to the papers. How's that my fault? You gave her the bologna and she made the sandwich. <laughs> you gave her the bologna and she made the sandwich. That's right. He has a good point, though. Why do they care whether they pull the plug on Cora? They got their conviction. Did they? I think it happened during the commercial. Wait, they did, never... did they? Why would he still be at Rikers if he was convicted? Rikers is not a place for the convicted. Oh, it's Rebecca. a pre-trial jail. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> oh, I didn't go to Unless thing. you have a short conviction, and then you can still be in Rikers. But I don't think he was convicted. They completely... We never saw that. They totally dropped that. They dropped the... This guy raped many women, 
and they never talk about it again. <laughs> it's funny. I call this one a flip-flop episode because that's what SVU does. They'll be like, oh, we're going to talk about this sexual assault that happened and be like, psych, this is going to be a, a, a referendum on the rights of people, <laughs> uh, the rights, the autonomy of people with mental illness. And I'm like, yo, yeah. I don't know about that, man. Like, what are, we, what are we talking about? Especially when you open with three, with three sexual assaults in a row. And it's, right. like, and it's like, oh, we're not, we're just not addressing that at all. That's not the, that's not the crux of this at all. Opening scene of the episode, I wrote, oh, is this about the Golden State Killer? 15 <laughs> minutes later, I wrote, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but the, my point being, I, I think Branch is right. This isn't, uh, they, this is a, this is none not. of their business? It's none of their business. <laughs> yeah. They got their conviction. He's <laughs> like, boy, that sounds like a tough break for you. It's none of their business. Well, but Casey's like, well, I, Benson, we got them, got her to do it, and we put her up to it, and so we feel badly, and so I need a day off so I can go to this stupid civil trial. It's none of their business. <laughs> none. None. This They're is... rape cops. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and so they go back to court with Judge Donnelly for a civil matter. Yes. Not a criminal matter. No crime committed. Listen, Judge Donnelly is very flexible. Why? I'm just saying for uh, Dr. Jurgen's uh, benefit, like the, hand lotion. the hand lotion. Why would you want her as a judge? <laughs> you just saw her. Mm. She threw the book at you. I'm like, hmm. Well, how about we add homicide to all your rapes mm. by pulling the plug, the feeding tube, or whatever. Yeah, yeah it doesn't I, seem like a good legal strategy. I didn't even think about like, until y'all said that that they use the same judge for those, those two very different cases. Until I was just like, oh, well, well, maybe it's a budgetary thing. Like we've paid for Judith Light. That's right. Yes. We're gonna get our full Judith Light budget for this episode. That's right. They also paid for B.D. Wong in this episode in yes. a very short scene. We yes. saw some Doctor Huang. Yeah, he's a narcissist. He's trying to repair his wounded ego. And so, like the, I, I do think between Terry Gar, B.D. Wong, Judith Light. Veronica, what's her face from Alien? Cartwright, like yeah. they really were maxing it out in this episode. Well, everybody made like two second cameos because even at the end when I saw Tamara Tootie just on the screen, just and I was like, that's only because you're a series regular. They had to put you in this final two minute scene of uh, Olivia coming up and giving her the newspaper article. I found widespread cell death in Cora's cerebral cortex. The damage to her brain was irreversible. So yeah, they That's blew right. their budget on this one. They're like, now nah, we're going to use Judith Light. Fred Thompson. Twice. Man, yeah, yeah, everybody was contractually obligated to get on this one. Yes, there was also an actor, which I don't know if you recognized. No. Matt Walton as the guy who comes in for two seconds, three times to talk to Casey. Casey, the office has been trying to find you. Oh, I have my phone off in court. Judge Donnelly wants you in chambers now. <clears throat> You might know Matt Walton from The Purge election year. He was born in 1973 in Hampton, New Jersey. He played a TV host in The Irishman and an anchorman in Mindhunter. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) He said quite... Hey, that's great. <laughs> I was just so distracted by this rando coworker of Casey's who just yeah. kept walking into scenes and being like, hey, Casey, the judge wants to talk to you. Yeah, I guess this yeah. was before text messages. Who the fuck yeah. is this guy? Since when does Casey have office mates? <laughs> just- Everybody got a line in this one. Yeah. Everybody. They had 15 daters. We've never seen her with a single coworker Three ever. Three rape victims. <laughs> Ten speed daters, two trials. Yeah. Yep. My God. Yeah. The script coordinator must have been out of her goddamn mind. They had that at the New York One fake news staff. Yeah. They had Ice T talking about bagels wearing stupid glasses. Yeah. And they had a crowd.
out in that New York one uh, in the New York one press conference too. Yeah, this is a very high budget episode. Yeah. Really, when you think about it, it's, it's, it wasn't even like a season finale. It was episode what seven, eight? Yeah, yeah. So I, the one thing I did want to note is that the ending felt very unbalanced to me because I wasn't sure what I was, what we just satisfied, or what we resolved. Thank you for letting Virginia hold her daughter's hand. I know how much it meant to her. You're welcome. Now there's something you can do for me. Like what? Expedite the death certificate. The life insurance company's gonna need that before they can process my claim. How much you gonna get? A million five. Because mm, he turns right. around, he's like, ha ha. So <laughs> I'm gonna get that 1.5 million dollars. And then Olivia walks up there with the mother and says, nope, it, it's okay. She would have wanted the plug pulled. We found a newspaper article about the car accident that Cora witnessed. Was Mike telling the truth? Cora told the reporter that what happened to that young girl was a tragedy. She said she'd never want to live like that. And I was like, I don't get it. Do I feel better that she wanted the plug pulled or do I still feel bad that Dean Kane committed insurance fraud? Yeah. Like what? Like what? What's going on? How do I feel? And I couldn't resolve those. It's feelings. all insurance fraud. And by the way, you're right. Yeah. But but okay. Yeah. I call total bullshit on that for a couple of reasons. One, no insurance company would pay out a claim when the person had just been insured the week before for no. one point five million dollars. Oh, technicalities. Yeah. Two, everyone knows they don't pay out claims when people harm themselves and die. Right? That's like a thing. Unless he has like extraordinary insurance. Which, how did he get it, that it when he was in prison? Was, he was in prison. It wasn't a suicide attempt. Well, they said, but there was a phone call. She called a cop and said, we oh. have a double suicide pact. Mm-hmm. Remember? No, I said that. I don't think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode takes cues from the controversial case of Terry Shrivo. In 1990... The 26-year-old St. Petersburg woman suffered a heart attack. Though she survived, the lack of oxygen to her brain left her in a permanent vegetative state. Eight years later, Michael Shrivo petitioned a judge to have his wife's feeding tube removed. But Terry's parents objected. After several appeals, a Florida court agreed with Michael that Terry wouldn't want to stay on life support. The feeding tube was removed in 2001, but was reinserted after an emergency ruling from a judge. For the next few years, Terry's husband and her parents were in and out of court, and the case attracted significant attention. Pro-life proponents and disability rights advocates opposed the efforts to end her care. State courts ultimately ruled in Michael's favour. Florida lawmakers got involved, passing legislation mandating Terry be kept alive, but that measure was ruled unconstitutional. Then, Congressional Republicans and President Bush created a law allowing federal courts to review the matter. Despite this, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. Terry Shrivo died in the Florida Hospice Center on March the 31st, 2005, nearly two weeks after her feeding tube was removed. What I did not know, one of the accusations thrown at each other between Michael and uh, Terry's uh, parents was that Michael won on Terry's behalf a $6.8 million malpractice suit 
against her OB for failing to identify an eating disorder. Hmm. Now, that malpractice award was later reduced to $2 million, and the parents said that Michael would inherit that money if she died, which was their argument. He wants the money if she dies. Mm -hmm. But the parents had been pushing Michael to divorce Terry, meaning that they would get the money if she died. Mm. Uh, And these facts were actually used by a fact finder against Michael in one of the early petitions, preventing him from removing the feeding tube. Basically saying, yeah, he's in it for the money. This whole thing is crazy. It was crazy then, it's crazy now. Well, the whole thing is, that what's crazy, I feel really bad for the real people involved in the story, especially poor Michael Schiavo, or however you pronounce his name, for having his case portrayed in this freaking bananas way on the stupid Law & Order episode, like SVU episode, where like, He's he would a say rapist. he had more problems in his life than this yes, episode. Yes, yeah. and because this thing was not a spur of the moment thing where he married her and she because like, this was it took years. This yeah. was like a horrible, long thing. Like I remember there being fights about whether or not her moving her eyes meant that she was like cognitive or not, and it was so sad and depressing. And I just feel really bad for everyone involved if they were portrayed in this way on this stupid TV show. I think also the the I, not only that I think what bothers me about the episode, uh, not the not the real life rip from the headlines, is that the only way that it could be an SVU episode is by adding in elements of sexual assault, which is right. why we because we now know what you actually wanted to rip from the headlines was the fight, the Terry Schiavo fight, as opposed to anything having to do with the sexual assault. But that in that case, that maybe you didn't need a serial rapist in order right. to to. <laughs> up your point but it so it feels like they sensationalize something else so they can minimize something (laughs) something else exactly exactly (laughs) so that that lawsuit was that the ob should have known that terry's infertility and the lack of menstruation was from her being bulimic and her low potassium levels and other complications led to this heart attack i think it's really an underappreciated legacy of her story about the dangers of eating disorders yes right i mean people sort of remember the way she died. People think of Karen Carpenter as being anorexic, and yes. that's the worst case scenario. Yes. But I don't think when people think of Terry uh, Schiavo that they think about eating disorders. Yes. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Not every listener is going to agree with me. Yeah. Her parents stole that opportunity for us to have like a really like like interesting story here. The court fight was sad, and it was bananas. And I... I'm not on the side of the parents, full disclosure. I understand their grief. I understand, like, their feelings. I empathize. But it is such a shame what happened to this family. It is such a shame. And, yes, that is a part of the story that, like, could be more important were it not for this protracted court battle that took 10 million years and probably a lot of suffering for this poor woman who, you know, was living on machines for years and years and years. I absolutely agree. I I have nothing to add. I have I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> Rebecca, without telling you what the answer w- would be, what okay. the choice would be made, who do you want to make the decision for you, me or your parents? <laughs> <laughs> it depends how big is your life insurance policy on me. <laughs> Ron, for you, for you, would you want it to be me or your parents? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with my parents. <laughs> I'm going to go with my parents. And it also, it does depend on how big the life insurance policy you have. <laughs> By the way, there's some forms I need you to fill out. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Send them on over. Let's go to the lock chapel first. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting out of here without a ring. <laughs> 
So that congressional bill uh, was uh, flawed for a lot of reasons. You one think? Was, yeah. <laughs> one was because it was considered a, a bill of attainder, uh-huh. uh, which is, applies to individuals and not to other people. So there's no equal protection. Right. right? The law just says it's... It's, it's about you. Right. So it's just about you. And if I have the same issue, I can't seek relief on the, on this, for the same thing. Right. Right. Uh, it also passed after a bunch of dubious parliamentary maneuvers. Do you know what the vote in the Senate was to pass this bill? No. No idea. Three to nothing. What? Yeah. Uh, it was actually a voice vote, and it was during a recess, and there were only three senators around. Who were they? Name them. Uh, <laughs> Lindsey Graham. No. <laughs> I was say, Mitch McConnell was definitely there. <laughs> I, f- I forget. I, the, the parliamentary procedure is that the, the Senate is is assumed that it's never in recess. Yeah. So when they come in and they take a voice vote, it's assumed that it's assumed that there's a quorum. So it's one of these assumptions. So three senators basically passed the bill and, w- and went on to the to the president, and it, so it didn't stupid. matter because the, you know the court was like, "This is bullshit. We're not." You know, it's you like can't that law they tried the to pass so that Arnold Schwarzenegger could run for president. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's about him. We want him to be able to run for president. Specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 3 nothing's interesting because 3 nothing was my best score in my fantasy league last week. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> also for my Senate fantasy league. <laughs> oh, nice. I didn't know you were in that, too. <laughs> Brother, we're all in that this year. Yeah, yeah. We're all in it. It's the fantasy league that none of us signed up for. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Ronald Young Jr. Ronald, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at oh, it's Big Ron. That's at O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N. Or you can go to my website, ohitsbigron.com. Again, O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N.com. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? I'm just so bummed that oh, it's Big Rebecca is probably taken. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. It's freaking awesome. Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft Above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, now in stores. It's foaming delicious.